Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today we are joined by cultural critic, poet, and author of Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be, Nicole Perkins. Her book is a collection of essays about sex, race, gender, and pop culture that came out in August. Nicole is also the host of This Is Good For You, a podcast about finding pleasure in life. And we talk today about writing about sex, boundaries, and romance novels. The Sax Book Club pick for October is Waiting to Exhale by Terry McMillan. We will be discussing the book on Wednesday, October 27th with Nicole Perkins. If you love the show and want more of it, like bonus episodes, a community of book nerds to share thoughts with, and our monthly virtual book club, you must join the Stacks Pack. That's a community for all things Stacks on Patreon. If this sounds like a community you want to be a part of, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks. I want to give a quick shout out to some of our newest members of the Stacks Pack, Tessa Palfrey, Dina Goodman, Christian Duenas, Kells, Nina Coolidge, Jill Myers, Caitlin Conley, Gabby Garcia, Samantha Horn, and Maureen Lawless. I really could not make the show without all of you and the rest of the Stacks Pack. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, now let's talk to the wonderful Nicole Perkins. All right, everybody, I'm really excited. I'm here today with Nicole Perkins. She is a poet. She is a cultural critic. She is a podcaster. And most recently, she is the author of... Sometimes I trip on how happy we could be the greatest titled book of the year, hands down, no problem. Nicole, welcome to the Stacks. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here too. I like haven't stopped smiling. I'm just, I have so many questions for you. I'm going to get a little nosy, but we'll start off easy. Can you just sort of tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from, whatever you feel is relevant? Sure. Uh, I am Nicole. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Gosh, I don't know what else to say. Uh, I'm a big Prince fan, if no one could tell from the title of my memoir. Um, And um, I love pop culture and um, I'm a big romance novel fan as well. Well, I mean, that's part of pop culture, but... um, Gosh, I don't know what the, what else to say about that's myself. Great. I think this, that's that's good, a good right? start. That's a good start. We're gonna dive in. I got plans for you, but I just you know like to give people a chance. Loosen up. Tell us a little bit. Do you know what's funny? You say that I did not connect the title with Prince. I thought it was Beyonce. 
No, the original song that Beyonce and Jay-Z sampled uh, is called If I Was Your Girlfriend, which is by Prince. I know that. Yeah, from the album Sign of the Times. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. I just thought it was Beyonce this whole time. And people kept being like, oh, my God, it's so great. It's that song. And I'm like, I know, 03 Body and Clyde. (laughs) And and now I'm realizing that I'm maybe an idiot. And that's fine. That's, like, very on brand for me. But I just love that you're like, I love Prince, if you couldn't tell. I was going to ask you about Beyonce, but I won't. Uh, (laughs) So, One of the things that I just was so taken by with your book, I mean, the whole book is fantastic. And this question is kind of more specific, but it does kind of fit all of the essays for the most part, is the way that you write about sex is just, I've never read anyone write about sex as well as you do in your book. I just think it's like, Mm -hmm. so it's not like sensational, like, oh, we're talking about sex, but it's also personal and intimate and also playful and all of the things that sex is and can be. I feel like you kind of embody that in the different stories. And so I'm wondering how you decide how much to share and like how you got to be comfortable writing about sex, because just talking about it is making me like feel nervous. (laughs) Um, Well, first of all, thank you for your very kind words. Um, You know, it just took a long time, a lot of practice, a lot of just kind of jumping out there. So a lot of times when I am really scared of something, I just jump and do it. I have Mm. to barge through it. Uh, You know how like... And football games, when they're holding up those big old paper banners in front of the team's locker room, and then the team (laughs) comes charging through, breaking through the the banner. That's how I feel like, that's what I do with a lot of my fears. Some of them do get the best of me, but other times I'm just like, okay, I just got to do it, you know? Um, And so over the years, you know, through my teenage years and my 20s, I would just say stuff, kind of shock value, you know, just Mm. to see how people would react. And then I would challenge their reactions, um, whether they were good or bad. And I would just kind of, I don't know, it was, you know, I was testing their reactions, but also testing myself and how I could navigate these kinds of discussions. And I do try to feel my way around conversations because I never want anyone to feel so uncomfortable if I've triggered something, you know, Mm. bad or whatever, a bad memory or something. I never want anyone to feel uncomfortable when I'm having these discussions. But that's why I try to approach them from a place of humor or lightheartedness um, so people can see I'm not, you know, I'm not really asking uh, anybody else to like, you know, show me a videotape of themselves in these particular moments or whatever. But I also just want people to recognize that, you know, if you are a sexual person, if you are a sexually active person, you are not alone in the things that you have experienced, you know, and that sex doesn't always have to be this very like dreadful thing that's going to end up like ruining your life or, you know, sending you on this catastrophic journey or something, um, which I think, a lot of us get that talk, you know, don't have sex or you're going to become a mother. You're going to get pregnant. You're going to get a disease and it's going to be awful and all this kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, that doesn't always happen. You know, sometimes sex is just a really nice way for people to communicate attraction or desire. Um, so I just want people to 
even if they don't feel comfortable talking to me, a stranger or me, <laughs> if I'm up their friend or whatever, I want them to be to get to a point where they feel comfortable talking about sex with their partners, mm. because that's where it's most important. Right. Like you don't have to tweet at me or you don't have to like write me, you know, an email about your sex life, but get to the point where you can talk to your partner or your partners about what's going on in your proverbial bedroom so that you can get what you want so that you can be satisfied. That's really my ultimate goal for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. Like if I just see you for a second, you know, walking down the street, I hope that you are having a good sex life. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope that you are being uh, satisfied in whatever way works for you, as long as it's not causing harm to anyone else, you know? So that's ultimately what's important to me. I want people to have these moments where they feel good. And if that is through sex, then yes, let's figure out how we can make that happen for you. But it has been challenging. And, you know, it's uh, I was tagged in a review recently. It was, you know, it was a fine review. But the person was like, you know, she talks about sex and it was a little TMI for me, which I found interesting because it's like it's a memoir, which means right. I'm it's about my life. It's and TMI it's a, for everyone. <laughs> right, right. So, if you did it right. Um, <laughs> um, and there have been some other reviews where I felt uh, I got self-conscious about the way people are reacting to Hmm. me talking about sex because a lot of people have been like, Oh, it's really explicit or it's um, uh, someone else was like, I didn't realize how much of a prude I was until I read this book, (laughs) which is fine. I'm not trying to get anybody to change themselves into something that they're not, but it's interesting because I actually toned down a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I toned down a lot and I didn't, you know, I think I was aware that some people would be uncomfortable with what they were reading. I was definitely aware that my mother and my sister would be reading sure. uh, the memoir and they know who I am. They know enough of who I am to know, to not be surprised, but they still maybe don't want all the details. Right, right, right. Um, and another thing that I would try to be careful about is not boasting about what I do. You know, mm. I don't want I don't want anyone to read what I have written and think that I have I'm sitting here talking about how great I am or something like that or, or like that I'm giving a, a manual on how to do this particular sex act or anything like that. Um, <laughs> but I try to talk about the things that feel good to me and the things that have been done to me that I enjoy. And again, it's more about uh, wanting women in particular, especially Black women, to feel comfortable expressing what they want and what they like and not just accepting what is being done to them. Oh, my gosh. Okay. You said like 90 things I want to follow uh, up on. I know. So we'll <laughs> see if I can. I'm like trying to take mental notes. The first thing, which is probably short, is are your tweets and DMs just filled with like TMI of so many strangers? Because I can only imagine like my DMs and I talk pretty much exclusively about books are filled with TMI about people's lives where I'm like, I am not the person for this. And since you're so publicly like, let's talk about sex, let's be about sex. I can only imagine that your DMs are aggressive at times. (laughs) You know, my DMs are not too bad. Um, I did have my DMs open for a very long time, but maybe a year ago I turned off public DMs because Uh I was, I kind of knew people would start like, sending me messages. Okay. Like once the 
advanced copies and like advanced snippets started going out and stuff like that. I started, I turned off my uh, public DMs, but I do get emails. People find Mm. my email. They go to my website and email me. And um, I wrote an article, gosh, in 2013, maybe 2014, 2015, something like that, um, at least five to eight years ago. And the piece that ended up being the last chapter in the book Mm. about me exploring BDSM and being a dom with this uh, younger white guy. And people find that essay and they still email me about it. Uh, And it's mostly white men, of course, who are emailing me. (laughs) And I can tell, like, they're saying, thank you for writing it. And, you know, like, you're really helping me. But I can also tell that they're feeling me out to see if I would, like, take them on as my sub and stuff like that. So it has been interesting. And from the book, I'm only seeing mostly at this point reviews, like if someone tags me in a review. And again, they're almost always positive. Uh, I haven't been tagged in a negative review, maybe like a lukewarm three out of five, which again is fine. I'll accept that. I don't know why people tag authors (laughs) in reviews, period. But especially like if it's not a rape, which, you know, I'm not a fan of Yeah, I mean, it's fine. most of the time, I don't read. Once I realize it's an actual review, I will click out. And then sometimes oh, it's, it's a little, too, <laughs> it's a little too late. So those are the ones where I pick up where people are kind of scolding me mm. or admitting that they were uncomfortable with the sex. Um, and one of my friends, he asked me, was I concerned that men would read the book and use what I said against me or like in a manipulative kind of way. So um, meaning, you know, where I talk about, I like when men tell me that I'm soft. He was concerned that then men would start saying that Mm. to me, even if they didn't mean it, but because they knew that that's what I liked and they were just trying to like earn points. And I was like, well, I don't think men are going to read my book, first of all. (laughs) Like it's not, it's not really for them. I wasn't thinking about them when I was writing it. And secondly, I just, I can't see that happening. And I have been surprised by how many men have read the book and reached out to me and said it was really good and it gave them some things to think about. And I was seeing this one guy uh, who recently moved and I had given him an advanced copy of the book. And one night where we were, you know, enjoying each other, (laughs) he talked about my soft skin and he had never said anything like that before. Mm. And I immediately... It just took me out of the moment because I felt like in my gut that he had read the book and he had gotten to that point, maybe. Mm. And he was just like, okay, this is what she likes and whatever. And it didn't feel sincere. It didn't feel like of the moment. It felt very calculated. And I was a little disappointed. So um, I guess that was a valid concern of my friend (laughs) to have. Yeah. Oh, my God. I never really even thought about future partners having read it and what they would think. Um, yeah. One of the other things you mentioned earlier was about like people feeling less alone. And I'm curious, as someone who writes about sex so publicly, do you feel alone, not not in your personal life, but in your professional life as like one of the few people who's willing to go there who's not writing romance novels, right? Like I think romance novelists, they talk about sex all the time, but you're talking about it in such a like personal way about your personal experience. Is that ever isolating for you because other people don't go there? 
Uh, a little bit. I feel I am stuck between boxes. And that yeah. is also something that I talk about in the book and feeling like I don't fit neatly in any particular box. And I feel I, di- I do feel that way because I'm not a sex expert, right. you know, and I'm not uh, I can't tell you how to do this position or how <laughs> to like whatever. But I also uh, talking about desire and sex is very important to me. And I was recently on a friend's Instagram live, like she has this series, uh, Essence Scant, she has a series called I Ain't Gonna Hold You. And, you know, she asked me what to, you know, what would I label myself? And I said, I think I would call myself a desire advocate. Ooh. And I, <laughs> okay, writer using those words. Yes. <laughs> and I, I like that. So I have been thinking about that more and more, like my desire advocacy. And again, just wanting people to, you know, speak up for themselves. That's like, you don't have to follow me. You don't have to figure out like, you know, I'm not asking you to follow me, but just figure it out for yourself. So, but yes, it can be a little isolating because I can't, I can't always talk about all the sexual stuff. I think that people want me to talk about, although I would love to do a sex advice column. I would love to do that or, you know, some kind of love relationships, something. I would love that. Yeah, and you can call it the desire advocate or something. Yes, or like the advocate yes. is in or something. I don't know. Yes, something really good. Yes. I love I love desire advocate because I love that it it feels really empowering. Like that you're empowering other people to tap into that part of themselves, which is I think empowering is one of the words I think I would use to describe the book and what I what I felt about you after reading the book. Because you know, like you read a memoir and you sort of decide who someone is. And I was like, oh, like empower certainly came to mind. So I really like your choice of self-labeling as a desire advocate because it totally feels like who I think you are not knowing you at all, but just having read the book, you know. Um, but So part of the book that I really appreciated and is is your, you talk about boundaries a lot um, in different ways. You're not like, these are my boundaries, but you sort of, and there's a few, there's a few essays where you do kind of lay it out very clearly, but sort of throughout the book, we're learning about what you're willing to do and, and not just sexually, but like with your family, where you draw the line. And, and I'm curious when it comes to actually writing these stories, how do you form your boundaries? Uh, because you write very personally about, about your, about your siblings, about your mother, about the way, you know, there's this great essay about about fast girls and these stereotypes. I guess the bigger question is you get very personal, but you also, I don't, I never felt worried about you because sometimes I read a mm. memoir and I'm like, okay, this person is not ready to write all of this. Uh, like they, they needed some therapy or like this feels like <laughs> TMI in a not good way. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm wondering sort of how you set up, how you prepare yourself, how you know when it's okay to write about something and when it's not for you. Right. Um, I talk about my family and I try to be as respectful as I could of their stories. And so I tried to make sure that I was telling their stories only where it intersected with mine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I needed a little bit of context, then I would provide that. But again, without going too far into something that they have not given me permission to talk about, because I did not really ask my family can I talk about this? Um, You know, my mom knew that I was writing the book and she asked me very carefully. She asked me, um, how much of your childhood are you going to talk about? Mm. Because she knew that I would be talking about my father and his abuse uh, of her and all that kind of stuff. And I just had to assure her that, you know, I'm not going to 
get too deep. And that was a choice. That was definitely a choice. You know, I alluded to a couple of old relationships that were emotionally abusive. I don't know if I necessarily labeled them as that in the book, but I mentioned some relationships, but I did not talk about them. And I thought about trying to talk about them. I I started to write about them and it was very difficult for me. I did not want to go back to that place. You know, in the book, I am able to admit when I've done some wrong things and made bad choices and have been a, a bad person, but I still did not want to go back into this place where I was being a victim or feeling mm. victimized. I'm, I was not ready for that yet. So I just didn't talk about it. I just didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't feel good about it. I, I, I'm also very concerned about um, trauma porn yeah. and being a Black woman, right, and just only writing pain, right. which is not to say that I should not do it or that anyone else cannot do it, but I just did not want to write a book that was like, that if it was somebody not Black reading it, then they would be like, see, I knew it was terrible being a Black woman. Right. You know, like I did, I, I'm very conscious of that. And so I, I just refuse to do that. Like I could talk about certain pains and I could talk about my upbringing and things that were traumatic for sure, but I just did not want that to be the only thing in the book. And so I felt like if I had written about those emotionally abusive relationships, the book would have been too sad or just yeah. like tipped over into into that. Uh, but, you know, again, I just didn't want to do it. And so I just thought really hard about what I felt good about writing and when I felt good about admitting. And I, it was important to me to admit I have done some terrible things. Because uh, I think a lot of times in memoirs and autobiographies, we just see all the good and bad things done to the person, right. done to the subject, and not so much what they have participated in, willingly or not. And uh, so I wanted to give myself permission to say, you know, sometimes I have not been a good person, but I am still here and I am doing what I can to you know, uh, I don't want to say clean out the mistakes of my life, but I've grown from them and I've learned from them. But it was very hard to figure out like what I could do. And uh, it's interesting because I had just had this discussion uh, with someone else where I was talking about when I was younger, I had all these boundaries. I would try to initiate boundaries and people would tell me, well, that's not nice. You should be a nice girl and go Ugh. over there or, you know, they told me I wasn't being warm and mm. I wasn't being a, a people person or, you know, when I got a little older and was in, in jobs, I was not a team player. Mm. And it was just because I don't feel like everybody deserves my time and my space. And so I would try to, uh, you know, be cordial and be polite because we're all still human. We all still deserve, you know, basic courtesy. But I just did not feel like I had to go out with all of my coworkers after work, right, you know, right. all the time. Your coworkers are not always your friends or whatever, or even your classmates, um, especially if you are one of very few in in a particular situation. If you're the only uh, one of very few Black women, one of very few Black people, one of very few women, period, or whatever, people think that you have to connect with everybody mm -hmm. uh, just because you have this whatever thing in common. And sometimes you just don't like each other and <laughs> being forced to uh, be besties is not, it's not good for anybody. So I would try to establish these boundaries when I was younger and uh, was made to feel like I was the worst person in the world. And now everyone is like, 
boundaries. Mm-hmm. Don't violate my boundaries. This is my self-care and all this kind of stuff, which is great. I love it because I feel like I have been trying to do that all my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's just, it, it has been very important to me. I'm an introverted person and I need my space. Mm. I love a boundary. <laughs> I love a ground rule. I love, I mean, but it's true. I think that probably I can relate to that like trying to set boundaries, not even knowing the word boundary as a thing, right? Like in my younger days, definitely have been called all sorts of really kind euphemisms for a bitch, but whatever. That was just me trying to set my boundaries and sorry, not sorry. I'm I'm a better off person because I didn't go out to happy hour with you losers. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things you mentioned was uh, as you're writing, kind of thinking about well, let me ask you this first. Who did you write the book for? Well, when I was writing the book, my target audience was Black women and trying to showcase the diversity of Black womanhood and just trying to show that, you know, you may not have all the answers or you may not have reached all the goals that you wanted, but you still can and it's still possible and, you know, you're still here and it doesn't mean the end for you. Uh, so that that was my you know main audience for Black women, but I especially uh, also want women in general, uh, women and femmes, to read the book and see that it's okay to speak up for yourself mm-hmm. and to uh, to know that you can be a late bloomer in many different ways, and it's okay. Like you you don't have to have everything done by twenty five or thirty or even thirty five, you know, and that life is still ongoing and that yeah so i i wrote it for um black women in particular yeah so what i heard you say earlier was sort of thinking about other folks reading the book people who aren't black and thinking about how they might interpret something and like taking something out because you didn't want it to be trauma porn or talking about like men reading the book and so i'm wondering I talk to so many authors and a lot of times they'll tell me like, I wrote the book for this group and that's all I cared about and I didn't think about anybody else or I wrote the book for me and that and whatever. But it's interesting to kind of hear you talk about having a target audience or some group that you're thinking of, but also being aware that other people might be picking up the book and how they're going to feel about it. So I'd love for you kind of to talk more about how you balanced making sure that it was authentic for Black women and femmes, but also knowing that there might be an outside gaze? So I try to be as honest in my language and in, you know, the syntax Mm -hmm. that I used as possible. And then when it did get to the point of editing and being proofread and stuff like that, and the proofreaders would be like, you know, I don't understand this phrase. I looked it up. It doesn't exist. Or, you know, (laughs) they say I couldn't find it. And I would just be like, oh, yeah, that's AAVE. That's, you know, that's vernacular. Or that's just me doing a twist of language or something in the tradition of uh, Black vernacular. So we're going to leave that because the people that I... I'm writing it for, they would know and understand what this is. But then there were moments where I was just like, hmm, somebody may not understand this. And I might like pop in. I have very few footnotes, but I will pop in maybe like a quick footnote to explain it, give it a bit more context or something like that. And I knew other people beyond Black women would be reading the book because of what I've been doing in my professional life, you know, 
prior to to writing this book. So there are a lot of people who listen to my old podcast, Thirst Aid Kit, and that was a wide range of demographics. And so I was like, if some of these people were to pick up this book, what would they see? What would they hear? Mm. Um, and so I just wanted to, I did want to acknowledge that other people would be reading it, but know that it was not, they were not my primary. Mm-hmm target. Um, so, but there were some moments where I was physically afraid to sit at my desk mm-hmm. and write because I was, I, I would get locked up into what people would think and not just black women, but just period, mm-hmm. just like what the readers would think. And honestly, that's when I would like pick up a glass of, of wine to <laughs> kind of calm my nerves and like push through. Um, because I, my biggest fear in writing the book was that someone would take something out of context and misconstrue what I was trying to say or purposely misinterpret what I was trying to Mm. say into something that I did not mean, I did not say, I had not even thought of or anything Mm. like that. It it definitely was a challenge in balancing, trying to figure out what, do I say this? Do I just let it ride? Or do I try to, you know, put those parenthetical phrases in so people could fully understand what I was saying? And I, for the most part, I think I just, again, just kind of barreled through. And I was like, yeah. if they get it, they get it. And if they don't, they can ask. You they know? can go to urbandictionary.com. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love, one of my favorite essays was the one about sort of your coming into writing, like on like the internet chat room kind of space. It's not, I guess it's not called a chat room. I don't know, whatever it was called. Um, And I loved it because one of my personal obsessions as a Black person on the internet is seeing all the ways that Black people that I like and admire know each other. So it was really Mm -hmm. fun because I know that you were at BuzzFeed for a little bit and like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Tracy Clayton, who like I always followed and loved and like, it just was, it's just such a cool thing to see that. And I'm wondering how that way of starting out as like a culture writer in that kind of a space, like a, I guess a chat room is the best way to explain it. Right. Like, yeah, it was a message board. Message board. There we go. Um, I'm like, there's another word for this, but I'm wondering (laughs) how that sort of influenced the writer that you became and like being in connection with all those other, like, I think you said, was it Jesus was in there with you? Yeah. yeah. Jesus past guest (laughs) on the show. Shout out to Jesus Amaro. Um, But I I just, I'm so curious about kind of fine tuning your skills on a message board versus like an MFA program or like versus like (laughs) I was an intern at the New York Times and that's how I learned to write like from New York Times writer. Like it just, it's just such a cool way. So I'm just curious. Yeah. You know, I, um, I tried to go to grad school for writing to get my MFA and it just didn't work out because, you know, for a lot of reasons, but um, the biggest one was that they were more concerned. The program that I was first in was more concerned with teaching me how to be a professor of writing as Mm. opposed to actually writing as a career. Um, And I did not want to be a teacher. I did not want to um, do that. I want to actually write. But when I joined that message board, which is uh, OK Player, which is a fan site for The Roots, which now are Jimmy Fallon's um, House nightly band. band. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I was just like writing to be silly and to connect with other people. I joined the board because 
it was a way to communicate with this guy that I was seeing at the time. And then it just kind of took off for me in a different way because I was just, again, I'm an introverted person. So, um, and I've always known I wanted to be a writer. I've always written. So being able to communicate with people without having to interact with them mm-hmm. physically was great. And I could be careful in what I said. And the message board, they had the ability to edit. So if you made a mistake, you had maybe, I think, a minute or five minutes from the time you posted to edit what you said. So I could go back and, and change stuff if I if I wanted to, or even just flat out delete whatever. But it was really a fun way to learn how to write on the internet because I learned how to, I learned what people will take the time to read, mm-hmm. what people have the attention span for, you know, do they want something salacious or do they want something that's educational? Mm-hmm. How can I mix the two? You know, that kind of thing. Um, I talked about this in that chapter, but there was a weekly post called Confession Wednesdays. And, you know, you could put anything from I burned my toast and I still ate it to, (laughs) um, you know, I'm having an affair with my next door neighbor to I think my kids are ugly. Like, you know, like it could be anything from whatever. And so I learned from there what people would respond to. Would they respond more to the thing that we all do? I threw out this dish because I didn't want to clean it. Or they would they respond more to the salacious stuff, and so I, I just kind of learned the, you know, how to balance talking on the internet, and I, most importantly, even beyond that, I learned how to navigate trolls. Mm. Right, I learned how the people who just kind of pick at you, they don't really have anything against what you're saying. They just want the attention. They just want right. to divert attention to themselves, or they're just miserable people who this is the only way that they can have power in their lives. Right. And so that's all been very important to me as my career has taken off, as I've gotten to be a little bit more public facing with the things that I do and learning how to, what to ignore, what to respond to, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's a lot of people who came up through OK Player. Like you said, Jesus, uh, Tracy Clayton, Don Will, who is a musician and, rap, you know, he's a musician and rapper. And he's, he does a lot of theme music for people in podcasts and uh, com- comedians and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a lot of people that came up through OK Player that maybe you wouldn't know to, you wouldn't know. But it was very instrumental in learning how to deal with what is now like Twitter and Instagram and Twitch and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's like a way to have direct kind of feedback from an audience that you don't get if you publish a piece here or there necessarily, unless it goes like viral and everyone's talking shit to you or whatever. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's so cool. Um, Okay. We're going to totally switch gears. Uh, We're going to start talking a little bit about books, but to transition into that, we do something here called Ask the Stacks, where someone has written in asking for book recommendations. I have not prepped Uh you for this at all. So I'm going to (laughs) read what they said, and then um, I'll give some suggestions, and then you can give some suggestions. So I'll give you a little time to think. Okay. Okay. So this one comes from Deanna, and Deanna says, at the beginning of the pandemic, a good friend and I started an ongoing buddy read. We don't live close, so this was a way for us to stay connected during a hard time, but we've continued reading together even as the country has started opening up nauseous smiley face. You know, the one that's like, Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, (laughs) we only read nonfiction and memoir and we most enjoy reading 
about things we didn't learn in school, including things like non-white perspectives, untold stories, how fucked up the U.S. is, et cetera, et cetera. Here's what we've read and loved so far. The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, The Undocumented Americans by Carla Cornejo Villavicencio, and White Feminism by Koa Beck. On our list already are Blood in the Water, How the Word is Passed, and The Warmth of Other Suns, others you'd recommend. Okay, let me just start by saying this. Deanna, how dare you preemptively tell me that you have Blood in the Water, How the Word had Passed, and Warm Father Sons, because you know those were the three that I was going to suggest to you because those are my favorite. But you preempted me, and so I have decided to go in a totally different direction. I'm going all books about feminism and women. So the first one is Hood Feminism by, oh, let me say this. Nicole, you only have to do one. You don't have to do oh, okay, I'm going to do three, give you some time to think. Okay. Okay. Okay, so here's what I've got for you. Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall. It's all about Black women-centered feminism and the ways that feminism has kind of been co-opted to be exclusively about white women. And this book focuses on on the ways that Black women sort of are engaged in that work and also the ways that the work is sort of rigged against them. Uh, My second one also about modern feminism is Good and Mad by Rebecca Traister. It's a really great book. She talks about women and rage and the ways that that has sort of propelled feminism. And she also talks about the intersections and the ways that white women have, you know, sabotaged their own rights in favor of white patriarchy and all of that. Um, Also, we have done an episode on Good and Mad. So if you read it, then you'll have a bonus thing to listen to. And then the last one is about um, slavery and white women. And it's called They Were Her Property. And it's all about the white women who own slaves who have sort of been erased from the historical narrative. We always think that it's about white men who own slaves and they were, you know, doing horrible things to the slaves, but also being horrible to their wives. And the wives were, you know, had no rights and all this. And this is about the white women who owned other humans and about the ways that they were just as cutthroat and horrible as other slave owners. So those are my three sort of themed suggestions for you. Nicole, what do you have? Okay, so I would like to suggest... Um, this book, it is called Franchise, The mm. Golden Arches in Black America by Marcia Chatlin, and that's C-H-A-T-E-L-A-I-N. And it is about how um, fast food ended up permeating Black neighborhoods and how it became like a way for certain Black people to generate wealth in in Black neighborhoods. Um, so it gets really deep and it's also uh, a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, uh, book. So that's what I would recommend. It's really interesting. Um, and it's also just something I would not, I mean, you know it, you know, you like, obviously, you know, when you go into certain neighborhoods right. and you see there's just nothing but fast food and very few grocery stores and you're kind of like, how did this happen? Well, this book will help explain how that happened. I so just franchise. Bought, I just bought that, but I haven't read it yet. So you're making me want to read it. Um, yeah. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. 
That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, we're back. Nicole, we're going to talk about all your favorite books and things. So <laughs> first, we always start here. Two books you love and one book you hate. Oh, boy. Okay. So uh, two books I love are Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison mm. and Salvage the Bones by Jesmyn Ward. Mm. Um, I just... I, I, those books just move me so much and they're such incredible they're, the craft of writing is is just so well illustrated in these in these books um and also they're just you know very emotionally evocative so i i love them uh and the book that i hate <laughs> is leaves of grass by walt whitman mm. um i just got so tired of people f- trying to force that on me and <laughs> and you know all this kind of stuff like oh this is the best way to get in touch with nature read this book and i i i don't believe it <laughs> i just it's not for me <laughs> i love i love this um what what are you reading right now Ooh, i'm reading right now um Velvet Was the Night by Silvio Morena Garcia mm-hmm. and uh, Seven Days in June Ugh. by Tia Williams. Are you liking Seven Days in June? I am. And I cannot, like, I saw the, you know, a good amount of buzz, but I think it deserves more. It's so <laughs> good. I 
unlike you, I really don't read a ton of romance. Not mm-hmm. not for any like holier than thou reason. I just really don't love fiction that much, just in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm just mm-hmm. more a nonfiction person. But I picked up Seven Days in June and I freaking loved it. I think it's one of the best things I've read this year. I think it's so good. Yes. What I'm reading so far is really good. And I think part of the problem is that it doesn't look like a romance yeah, novel. Yeah, but it is you gorgeous. Know? The cover is it's, like Yeah, so it's absolutely beautiful. gorgeous. But it's just not, it does not have the traditional or the expected yeah. look of what, um, like the cover of what a romance would look like or what we would signal as a romance. But it's very good. Um, and I wish that, like I said, I wish it had more, even more buzz to go with it. Me too. Me too. Um, okay. What are books that you're looking forward to reading? And they don't have to be new books. They could just be books that have been on your list forever. It could be anything. Oh, well, I have two new books that okay. I'm really interested in reading. Um, Harlem Shuffle by Colson mm-hmm. Whitehead and um, Palmares by Gail Jones. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's like her first book in like 20 years or something yeah. like that. Uh, so I'm really interested in seeing what she has done. Yeah. I want to read that too. I saw that the article that Imani Perry wrote in the New York Times about it and it's great. Mm-hmm. How do you decide what book you're going to pick up next? Um, mostly from friends and, um, you know, reviews. If I see someone has um, shared a review on social media, um, then I'll check it out and, you know, see what's next. Or uh, to be honest, also when publicists reach out to me and mm-hmm. they're like, I have this book that I think you might be interested in. Uh, and then I'll I'll check that out. I also, you know, have a NetGalley account. So I go through uh, some of their features and see right. what what they have, or even like bookshop and you know certain online stores. I'll look to see what they have, you know, new or coming out or something like that. Um, yeah. So a combination of things. Do you feel like do you read mostly new stuff, or or do you also get to spend time with backlist titles as well? Oh, I love going back through a writer's catalog. So I love backlist stuff. I don't necessarily have to have a new book. I I enjoy going back and uh, especially picking up something that maybe I missed Mm. when I was um, growing up or I missed during like the big hype because I my to be read list was just too, too much already. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's fine with me. I love it. What's a book that you like to recommend to people? Ooh, okay. Uh, this collection of short stories called Before You Suffocate Your Full Self by Danielle mm, Evans. Yeah. And this book that uh, I can't remember when it came out, maybe the 80s, but I think it takes place in like the 70s. I can't remember, but uh, it's called Wife by um, the late Bharati Mukherjee, if I'm saying her name correctly. And it's a very short novella, really, uh, but it is about this woman who... Uh, she gets married and comes to America and she is just kind of like trying to assert some power in her life. I love it. Again, it's just a very short read, but it's fantastic. Mm. You mentioned earlier that you really like to read romance novels. What is it about romance novels that you love? Oh my gosh. Um, there really are escape mm-hmm. <laughs> escapes for me. Uh, I love seeing how the characters communicate uh, their feelings to each other. Mm. Uh, I love the idea that someone 
is careful with with you know someone else uh, a tender and that someone is also concerned about their uh sexual pleasure once they start getting becoming intimate i just love love i love sweetness i love um how writers take this subject that is as old as time and can make it fresh you know over and over and over again that's just incredible talent to me. I think, you know, we've, we've been talking about love from the moment that we could talk. Uh, And so romance novelists are able to take this very ancient idea and make it new each time. And that's amazing. What are your, some of your favorite romance novels? Uh, Okay. So one that I read uh, last year and I I did moderate an event for it is by um, a fairly new author named Denise Williams. And it's called um, How to Fail at Flirting, Mm. which was really good. It's a contemporary novel. Anything um, by Alyssa Cole um, and Rebecca Weatherspoon. Rebecca Weatherspoon, she does a lot of erotic thrillers, which I, I love. And her work is a bit more erotic in nature, but I really love her work as well. And then there is um, Tessa Bailey, and uh, she does a lot with like dirty talk. Her characters are really good at dirty talk. And then uh, I really like paranormal romance. Okay. Uh, and so two of my favorite authors there uh, is a woman uh, named Janine Frost and this other woman named Rochelle Mead. Uh, so those are some of my favorite authors. It's hard for me to pin down like book titles, yeah. but those are but those are the authors. Would you ever write a romance novel? Absolutely. I hope to write one uh, soon. <laughs> I don't okay. know if this is going to be my next, next project, but it's definitely on my agenda. Okay, great. I can't wait to read it. I will definitely read yours. I will read fiction for you uh, because <laughs> I you. love how you write. Uh, <laughs> how do you organize your books or do you organize your books? Yeah, I organize my books by genre and then alphabetically within the genre. Uh, so I have poetry first. I always put poetry first uh, because poetry is my first love and I I still consider myself a poet. I tend to do nonfiction next because I I don't read as much nonfiction as I do fiction and then fiction. Um, and then at the end of those, I put my um, arcs and duplicates so that I know what I can give away <laughs> safely. Because I, you know, I am a, a little bit of a book hoarder, so I don't <laughs> like to give away books. But if I create this one section where I know, okay, this is the safe stuff that you can give away. That's good. So I, I do that. Yeah. That's so smart. I love that you said that sort of embarrassed. Like I'm a book hoarder and I'm sitting here like, this is the only space maybe in the world to freely admit that you're a book hoarder. This is a very safe space. I am a book hoarder advocate. So <laughs> you're I love safe it. here. Please feel free to indulge. Um, <laughs> are there any genres that you don't read that you avoid that you're just not that into? Uh, yeah, like epic fantasy, espionage, spy stuff, yeah. war history, um, self-help. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, right. Yeah. And if you were in your most ideal reading situation, where would you be? What would you have by you? A beverage, a snack? What's the weather like? Like set us up for Nicole's dreamy reading moment. My dream reading moment um would be like in a room with with three walls are all 
bookshelves and filled okay. completely, right? And the fourth wall would be just glass, you know, um, just windows and there's French doors to open out onto a patio. And the patio leads to this incredible vista of lush rolling green hills and a lake and beautiful flowers and lovely breeze. And I am in like a little, you know, a big comfy chair, some kind of like very comfy chase lounge Mm. thing. And I have a good cozy blanket uh, wrapped around me and um, there's lovely music. I tend to listen to uh, either slow music or kind of, I don't know, just kind of something slow and quiet while I'm reading. And uh, for drinks, you know, I'm fine with like just ice water or maybe a hot cup of tea, a hot cup of green tea and snacks. I like crunchy snacks when I'm reading. Mm-hmm. And um, but I usually do cereal because mm-hmm. I don't um, but I don't like milk. I don't drink milk. Oh, my gosh. So I eat We're my in a cereal. Fight. <laughs> I am a milk advocate. I work for the milk lobby. I love a milk. <laughs> no, it makes me sick. Um, so I like like Cap'n Crunch, but mm. I just eat it like popcorn just with my fingers. So I'm just doing something like that or like Cheerios or whatever, something like that. Something that I can eat with my fingers and turn the page. Yeah. You really set the scene beautifully. I want to be in your reading fantasy. I, I was imagining <laughs> Oprah's lush garden that she just did the tour of. Yes. <laughs> like that yes. kind of vibe. Her garden that's yes. actually like a national park, but it's just like Oprah's garden. No big deal. I'm Oprah. My garden <laughs> is the most beautiful place on earth. Um, do you have a favorite bookstore? Honestly, I don't, but I do love an indie bookstore and I do love going to like used bookstores, but mm-hmm. I don't really necessarily have a favorite one that I go to all the time. I do try to support local indies and black bookstores. Uh, I used to work at a black bookstore in the DC area. It's, it's no longer around, but I I do try to, you know, send some money their way. Um, I did some events with Loyalty Bookstore in DC and Reparations Bookstore in Los Angeles. And they were phenomenal. I love them so much. So they were really good to me. Um, And locally, I live in Brooklyn. I usually go to Books Are Magic Mm -hmm. or Greenlight, both indie stores. So yeah. And can you remember the last book you purchased? Yes, I actually just purchased another copy of Quicksand and Passing by Nella Larson mm. because the movie Passing, uh, you know, they started releasing the trailers. And so that's about to come out. And I wanted to refresh my memory because I haven't read it in over a decade, I think. Uh, yeah, so I that was the book that I last bought. I've never read Passing, so I, I feel like I have to do it for the movie. Yeah, I mean, I think it would help because yeah. I, I don't know how the movie is going to go if you don't have right the experience of the book. And it's a super short book. It's like 100 pages, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's very gonna, short. I have a copy. I just need to crack it open and, and do just do it. <laughs> okay, this is sort of our rapid round. So last book that made you laugh. The last book that made me laugh was The Dating Playbook by Farrah Roshan. It's another romance, contemporary, very funny, very good. What was the last book that made you angry? The last book that made me angry, it it isn't out yet, but it is um, called Admissions by Kendra James. I'm actually... I'm reading it and I'm going to blurb. So I don't know if that's a conflict of interest. But it made me angry because it's about... um, 
Uh, it's about the author's experience in prep school and, you know, private yeah. um, boarding school, boarding school. And it made me angry at the things that um, people put themselves to in order, put themselves through in order to get ahead and in order to like eliminate uh, certain obstacles in life. Um, you know, especially when you are one black person in a sea of upper class white people and the things that they tell you. So yeah, admissions by Kendra James, which is coming out next it's year. January. I saw the cover. Yeah. It's perfect. It's so yes, great. Oh yes. my gosh. Um, okay. What's a book, the last book you felt like you learned a lot? Ooh. Um, can I cheat and say the franchise book of course. that I it's not recommended a cheat. earlier? It's not, that's just a uh, co-signing your own recommendation. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was just really interesting because that was not something that I I thought that I would be interested in, and um, it was very eye-opening. Yeah. So, yeah, the franchise book. I'm just going to ask you two more, I think. So one mm-hmm. is, are there any books you feel embarrassed about never having read? Oh, um, some classical or, you know, classical literature like uh, Pride and Prejudice mm. and um, – I feel like there's another like Jane Little Eyre Women. Or whatever. I read Jane Eyre. I actually like Jane Eyre, but like the Pride and Prejudice stuff and Little Women and these, you know, yeah, those kinds of yeah. books. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm embarrassed, but I definitely am just like, Ugh, I don't want to have to talk about this book. Yeah. You know, like I don't want to have to like admit that I know <laughs> yeah. nothing about this. Totally. Um, so yeah, so those those books. Uh, and I read I read Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre. I think maybe I like those because they are gothic and a little darker mm-hmm. um but those others uh, you know yeah. they don't I, I know no I know I know <laughs> I lied I said I was gonna ask you two more but now I'm gonna ask you two more okay, okay this one is if you were teaching high school what is a book you would assign to your students Ooh, if I was okay high school it would be for colored girls mm. um, by Intazaki Shange and um their Eyes Were Watching God mm. by Zora Neale Hurston, some poetry by Sonia Sanchez, uh, and poetry by uh, Lucille Clifton. And um, there is another poetry book I would teach, Jelly Roll by Kevin Young, mm. which is very jazz and blues influenced. And I love it. I reread it all the time. But those are some of the things that I would... Um, and anything by uh, Jacqueline Woodson, mm. who she does some um, YA stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's good. Yeah. I want to take your class. I want to go back to high school and take whatever <laughs> class that is. Good books from Professor Perkins or Teacher per- <laughs> Miss Perkins. I don't know. Okay. Last one. Last one. I stole mm-hmm. this from the New York Times. If you could require the current president of the United States to read one book, what would it be? Wow. Oh. <laughs> Um, I would say, okay, this is, <laughs> this is because it just really influenced me in writing, um, in writing my memoir, but, um, anything by Samantha Irby, but mm. her first book, Meaty, I would recommend that because it's funny, um, but it also covers, you know, some really interesting territory in a very funny way. Um, 
And maybe, I don't know, maybe he just needs some humor in his life, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I love that answer so much. Love Samantha Irby. Okay, everybody, here's the deal. Nicole will be back October 27th. We're going to be discussing Waiting to Exhale by Terry McMillan for the Stacks Book Club. You should definitely read the book because there will be spoilers. If you have time, watch the movie because we're probably going to talk about that too. Um, And in the meantime, also pick up your copy of Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be by Nicole Perkins, inspired by Prince, not Beyonce. Don't be dumb and think it's Beyonce because, hello, it's obviously Prince. Um, Nicole, (laughs) thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. This was so fun. I was like, oh, no, I'm drawing a blank on everything. But this was so good to like go back through and think about all the books that I've read. So thank you. Yay. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you all for listening. And thank you so much to Nicole for being my guest. Also, a huge thank you to Cameron Nessa for making this interview possible. Tune back in on October 27th to hear Nicole discuss our book club pick, Waiting to Exhale by Terry McMillan. If you love this show and want a little more inside access, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the stacks pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, take a moment to leave us a rating and a review. For more from the stacks, follow us on social media at the stacks pod on Instagram and at the stacks pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Our editor is Christian Duenas. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright. And our theme music is from Tagiragis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 